Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf. And first, may I wish everyone a very happy new year with the fervent hope that the difficulties faced across the world will soon start to recede and we can resume a normal life. For this first episode of 2021, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Charlie Nicklin, the recently appointed CEO of IAGRI, the Institution of Agricultural Engineers, which is the third of the UK's national representative bodies. The two of these are trade associations. The AEA, the Agricultural Engineers Association, is for manufacturers and suppliers, whilst BAGMA, the British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association, represents the interests of sales and service dealers. Their membership is made up of companies, whilst IAGRI offers individual membership to engineers, academics, researchers, environmentalists, all working in the agricultural and associated sectors who wish to gain and grow internationally recognised professional qualifications. Charlie Nicklin was appointed CEO of IAGRI in October 2020, having spent uh, 24 years in key engineering roles at JCB. Which means with everybody working at home these days, he has only had a fleeting encounter with his office at IAGRI's headquarters on the campus of Cranfield University. And before I go on, a disclosure that I am a member of IAGRI and edited and produced the institution's professional journal Landwards for 12 years before stepping down in December last year. So that out of the way, I'd like to say hello to Charlie and first find out what uh, kick-started your interest in agricultural engineering. I grew up on a farm, um, and the majority of my family are farmers. Um, so I, you know, like a lot of kids of, of that background, I grew up thinking of tractors and motorbikes and Land Rovers and all sorts of things. And um, my granddad bought me a, a Grey Fergie T20 when I was about ten. Um, so that sort of fueled my passion even more. Yeah. Um, I suppose, you know, I was always, you know, when our local chap used to come and fix tractors, he'd got agricultural engineering on the side of his van. And I was always fascinated when he was pulling things apart in the workshop and uh, doing repairs. And, you know, I was always the first one to jump in the seat when they were off to the local dealers to buy some parts. So, yeah. Have you uh, have you still got the T20? Yes, I certainly have. And, have and a you few more. lovingly looked <laughs> after it? I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An iconic. Yeah. It's the it's the E type of the agriculture of the tractor world, isn't it? Absolutely. I've got about four of them, I think. Have you? Different, different types. Yeah. So things. So having sort of got that into your blood, um, and after school, what what was your career path from there? Your education path, rather, and what well, qualifications did you take? Well, I suppose, you know, I did fine at school and I, I love school, but I've got no intention of, you know, doing A-levels. Um, I'd sort of made my mind up that I wanted to go and be a tractor mechanic, I suppose, which is, which is what I thought an ag engineer was back then. You know, yeah. that was the person who came to fix my tractors. Sure. Um, and I suppose my dad, my dad was very supportive. Um, I wanted to go and do something like a city and guilds. Um, I think it was 015 mechanics course back then. And my dad was very much, well, why don't you go and do something with a bit more theory? So we looked around and I ended up doing um, a BTEC national diploma in, in ag engineering. And I went around a few colleges and settled on Reeseath in Cheshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I enrolled on that for, for three years. And it was, you know, it was, it was brilliant, really. It was, it was, 
you know, a year in college, a year out in industry, and a year back in college back then, which I absolutely loved. Um, yeah. And things like maths and science, you know, all of a sudden started to make sense because it was being applied to something that I really enjoyed. And I got the bug, really, with that. Uh, really enjoyed it and then went on to Harper in Shropshire um, yes. and did my degree. So, I mean, if you'd asked me at school, would I have got an engineering degree? I'd have laughed at you. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I really, I really enjoyed that that practical route. Uh, and you enjoyed your time at uh, Harper. Yeah, yeah. It gives you, I think, you know, I was always biased when, when I was recruiting people that, you know, that, that practical route into engineering really gives you a good practical grounding. You know, in, if, you, if you get involved in designing products, you know, it, it's... It makes you aware of the poor people that have got to fix the things now and again, you know. So yeah, of course. And and during this time, during this education process, did you did you have a dream job in mind? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I always, I always wanted to work for Massey Ferguson at Banalane. Mm -hmm. um, and even when I joined JCB in the first few years, I tried a couple of times and went for some interviews at, at uh, Coventry. And I never quite managed it, and. Uh, I suppose I'm glad I didn't almost because in, obviously in 2002 it all packed up and yeah. shut up shop. So I suppose it, it, it wasn't meant to be ultimately, but uh, I did try a couple of times, but uh, things took a different course. And, and as we all know, Harper has a, a good record on on placing students after their education in, in the real world, shall we call it. Um, how easy was it for you to get your first job and, and what was it? Well, I mean, I, when I look back, I suppose it was really easy. Um, and I feel a bit sorry for people these days, but I found it really easy to get a job back then. Um, I, I finished at Harper um, and then I went and drove combines and tractors and spud harvesters and things like that till Christmas time to pay off some debts. Um, then I thought I'd better start looking for a proper job. And I think I only applied for two jobs, if I remember. I think I applied for one at KRM, which is the you know the people up north, and I didn't Keith, hear anything. Yeah, Keith, Re Keith, Keith Rennie. Rennie, yeah, 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 and I didn't hear anything back. And then I applied for a, an engineering job at a company called Anatox in Northampton, um, and they responded straight away. And I went down for an interview, and I, and I took a job with those guys. And that they were, um, it was a UK arm of an American company, um, and they developed a chemical for killing salmonella in animal feeds. So the job was all about designing and specifying chemical spraying equipment um, that went into a variety of places. So the job was sort of 50-50 design versus installation and commissioning. Um, and we used to do installations onto dockside, you know, where you'd, you'd yeah. have a, um, a hopper with a mixing system that sprayed this chemical onto feed as it was unloaded off the barges on the docks into trucks. We'd also do installations in feed mills, you know, animal feed mills, uh, fixed systems where it spray this chemical on. And then also we had processing plant that we, we took around on a lorry to big warehouses and, and basically shoveled material in one end with a wheeled loader and then treated the material and, and unloaded it at the other end. Was um, that all UK based, uh, Charlie? Well, no, it was it was great fun at the time because it was it was very much European. So I was traveling all over Europe doing this. Uh, I went to the USA for a training a couple of times and I was only in my early 20s. So it was great fun. Um, and quite early on, the guy, there was only one engineer there who was very much a, a feed processing person. He he decided to leave after about a year and left me on my own. So I suddenly had the whole lot for myself. 
which oh. was really good because, yeah. you know, I'd got to grips with it and it was good fun. I got a company car and, you know, I was finding myself driving right down into deepest Bavaria, mm -hmm. doing feed mill installations and, uh, you know, and I was specifying the equipment and I was designing it and then I was going out and installing it. So, yeah, it was good fun. And uh, then you had the opportunity uh, to join JCB. Uh, what... Uh, uh, how long were you, were you with the company and what roles did you have whilst you were there, uh, Charlie? Well, I was uh, 24 years in total. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I was happy doing the job in Northampton, but, um, you know, I, it didn't have four wheels and an engine, which was always a problem. Mm. And, you know, that, I was drawn, I was always drawn to, you know, machines. So I applied for some general engineering positions uh, in the paper at the time. And I think probably the Telegraph or something like that, when jobs used to be put in papers. And uh, I went for a day's assessment and interviews there. Um, and ultimately, after that, I was offered a job, a design engineer job. And I had the choice of going on backhoe loaders, telescopic handlers or compact excavators. And I basically chose loaders because I'd driven them on farms and it got that agricultural connection that was really important to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I spent... Um, Nine years on telehandlers, on loadalls, um, and I was a junior designer, a senior designer, then a principal design engineer, and then I took a position as a product manager. Um, so I worked on all, at the time, it was before we'd launched the side engine range of telehandlers that, that are obviously commonplace now, but that was a new range back then that was, that was not in production. So chucked right in the deep end doing that, uh, very quickly started managing small projects with a team of people. Mm -hmm. And that just sort of grew and grew. And we were working on some industry firsts back then. You know, we were doing higher road speeds with telehandlers, with higher power machines, boom suspension, all those sorts of things. So yeah. some good stuff. And then uh, I got called into my boss's office um, and got told that the chap at um, the chief engineer on Fast Track was retiring. They were looking for a new chief engineer. And it sort of didn't dawn on me that they were actually talking about me. So, so I then took up the position of chief engineer for fast track which i did for 11 years um, was that in ray clay's day or uh... yeah ray it was when ray retired so, yeah so ray had been on the project from the start and the chief engineer was dave brown uh, who sadly passed away um dave then moved on to backhoe loaders and ray clay took the position of chief engineer uh, which he did for a few years, and then and then Ray retired, and I I took over, yeah. so I did it for eleven years. So I think I'm the longest serving chief engineer, I think, of uh, of the on the tractor. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I was quite daunted at the time because I was only in my early thirties, and it was a very established team. Yes, it's, it's by far the most complicated project project that uh, or product that JCB manufacture, uh, and a lot of the people on the team have been on it since day one. And I suppose I was sort of worried that you know some young upstart coming in and telling them how to do it. But it was it was quite the opposite, really. It was great fun. There were a great team of people. And I really enjoyed it. And we had, you know, we, we did some great stuff over the years I was there. Um, you know, while I was there, we, we introduced the, the 8000 series with the, the Vario transmission. Uh, yes. We revamped a lot of the ranges. Yeah. And I really look back, you know, with a lot of pride on what we did with the 4,000 series and the new 8,000 series that, that are in production now, you know, I'm really uh, proud And you had a major engine change, of course, didn't you? Yes. I mean, I was, you know, I was there while we were, we were developing the partnership with, with Agco for C2 engines and, and Fent transmission. So that was really good fun working with really closely with the Agco guys in, in Germany. 
in Mark Toberdorf. So I got to know those guys really, really well. Had a great relationship with them. Are you ever surprised that nobody really has come up with a uh, a clone of the, the the fast track? I think I think that time passed a few years ago. I, I you know if you look at how mainstream tractors are made up with transaxles, um, you know fixed fixed gearboxes, engines, and, and rear axles, and then you know most most tractors now have got suspended front axles. It's such a major carve up of the componentry to do something like the fast track does. Now, I think, you know, back in the day when fast track was developed, most tractors were only doing 30 or 40 K. Uh, fast track came along doing, you know, 60, 70, 80 K. It was very, very different. I think, you know, mainstream tractors have got faster and faster. And, you know, they've, they've really benefited from, from JCB, really. because well, From your technology. Yeah. yeah, it's made them look at their brakes. It's made them improve their ride and comfort. And, and it's, were, were it's completely you, different. Were, were, were you driven by or constrained by legislation as it came along? It's, it's always, the legislation's always been a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, the, the product absolutely complies with, with road laws. The legislation's much clearer now than it was. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge. I mean, with the the, U, the legislation in the UK is in the dark ages, really, up until yeah, recently. Yeah. You know, 20 mile an hour speed limit on a tractor when they're all doing 30, 35 mile an hour was, was ridiculous, you know. But, uh, and uh, during the, uh, the 20, 24 years, 25 years or so that you spent at, uh, at uh, JCB, Charlie, um, what were the most important lessons you learned working for a big company like that? Well, I think, you know, just really after a you know, I'd, I'd, I worked with the tractor for 11 years and then about four and a half years um, as chief engineer for backhoe loaders, um, which again is a, is, a, is a very different product in JCB. That's very much the cash cow and JCB's crown jewels, really. So uh, a lot of my time there was spent on engines and transmissions and cab updates and that sort of stuff. But uh, working on the backhoe, um, very high volume, very mature product, um, you know, that, 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 Quite a few lessons learned on that. Um, I think the, the big underlying thing, I think, is, is understanding what the customer wants mm -hmm. and then having a plan that everybody's bought into. Um, and I think if you can crack that, you know, you'll be, you'll, you'll be on to a winner. And I think that all the, the projects have had any, any ambiguity in them. You know, if you don't know fully where you're going or what you want to achieve, they're difficult. I think if you know what, what you want to do, and you've got a good plan that everybody's bought into your way. Um, but, I mean, you've got to hit the spot perfectly. That's the thing. It's a, it's a real fine balance between getting the product specification right, getting the quality right, controlling the costs and hitting your deadlines. Um, you know, so it's all about teamwork in a way. Yeah. I mean, you, you can spend all the time in the world designing the best things in sliced bread, <laughs> but it's probably going to cost too much and somebody will nicked your market and you wouldn't sell any. No. And vice versa, you know, you can rush something in, you know, not been very well tested. Uh, you know, you'll launch it in haste and you'll repent at leisure and it can be very, very painful. And I've seen both of those extremes over the years from a variety of manufacturers, not, you know, not JCB. And you'll see certain products just absolutely hit the spot and you'll see other products that are just failures. And, it, and it's, it's painful. You know, when it, when it hits the spot, it's grateful. When, it, when, it's, when it's not right, it's painful. And, sure. you know, all manufacturers fall over with that. You know, there's a real fine balance in getting it right. And I think 
working in a successful OEM like JCB does make you understand that balance very, very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Charlie, if we if we come somewhat up to date, uh, what prompted you to apply for the chief executive's job at uh, IAGRI? Well, you know, when I left JCB, um, everybody was asking me, oh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And my answer was always the same. Uh, I used to say, well, I'm going to do something completely different. And uh, I had no idea what that different was at the time. Um, and I suppose I desperately wanted to stay involved in agriculture. That's where my heart is. Um, you know, working on construction equipment at JCB in the last sort of four, four and a half years, it really made me miss that the ag industry and the people involved with it. So, so I wanted to do something in agriculture. And of course, all my experience is engineering, um, but I needed to fuel that, that ag element um, so I was starting to scratch my head and then out of the blue, the CEO vacancy came up yeah. and a couple of people sort of said, why don't you have a look at that? And at first I'd sort of dismissed it and thought, no, nah, that's not for me. Um, and I, you know, I'd been a member of the IAGRI for 28 years. So, you know, I knew what the institution was about, but the more I read the job description, the more I thought, you know, what well, that's, that sounds really interesting. And I suppose the bit that really excited me was that, that prospect of, getting back to basics with education and young people and, and promoting ag engineering and, you know, as a career for all levels of people and really sort of putting something back into it. Um, you know, and, and also getting back involved in all the different elements of ag engineering because, you know, as you know, it's such a broad subject. It's not just tractors. Well, it is particularly within, within IAGRI, isn't it? With the yeah, I mean, it's, different it's, interests. It's precision farming, it's livestock, it's environmental, it's, it's all sorts. And there's such, you know, there's such an explosion in technology, I think, going to go on in this next decade. It, yeah. it couldn't be a better time to get involved with it. It's, no, it's no. so interesting. And, um, you know, with yourself as a CEO and, and the current president of IAGRI, Paul Hemingway, uh, both coming from senior roles in JCB, uh, what qualities do you think, Charlie, um, do you bring to IAGRI um, that might be useful in your new role? Well, I think, you know, it's a, a bit of a yellow takeover of the IAGRI, but it's, I don't think it's the case at all. I mean, Paul... You know, Paul's had a history with Harper Adams in the past and been involved with the institution for many years. And, and, and I've been a member for, as I said, 28 years now. Um, and I've been a chartered engineer for 21, I think, yeah. But I suppose the obvious... Sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. It's the phone sparking up. <laughs> Siri's listening. I suppose the obvious one is the commercial aspect. Is mm. that, and, I, and I have to be careful how I work really because it is a different organization but but that commercial thing to me is so so important so although I agree as a non-profit organization you know it's there to support its members and promote ag yeah. engineering and professionalism and a charity of course yeah money yeah money makes the world go round so companies like JCB need to employ people to design and make and sell machines and that generates revenue for them and the UK and then that revenue then needs to fund education and research to come up with future ideas for companies to commercialise and make money. So it's a big merry-go-round. Unless somebody's making some money somewhere, you know, we're, we're, we're stuffed, you know. So, you know, companies have got to make a product or sell a service to get to get money, to get this investment. It's, it's very simple. So the I agree absolutely needs to support education and get people coming into the industry and, and allow companies like JCB 
um, to prosper and, and in turn the country to prosper. And I think that's even more important now we've left the EU. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, Charlie, it's often said that agricultural engineering or land-based engineering, if you'd like to call it that, um, is one of the country's best kept secrets. Um, and I've also heard that said of IAGRI. Um, do you agree with that? And, and what are your thoughts in these early days, of course, on growing the profile and by definition growing membership? It's it's a funny one, really, I suppose. I mean, I've grown up around it all, you know, all my life. So it's, it's difficult to compute for me because, you know, I, I suppose we, we have a double whammy, really. You know, we've got to get school children to understand two things, not just one. For, you know, first, we've got to educate them on what agriculture is. Uh, and then we have to do the same on what engineering is. Um, I suppose we've got the good thing is we've got a two pronged attack, really, because you've got organisations like Engineering UK are very much pushing school children to take up more STEM subjects, you know, the science and technical education, maths subjects. And that, of course, turns into sort of engineering. And of course, agriculture. I think, you know, people are a lot more conscious of where the food comes from these days. So I think there is more learning going on in schools about farming. And I suppose our challenge is to join the two together, join agriculture and engineering together and away you go. Well, I suppose, you know, I agree very much as a key part in promoting this and supporting education and making the industry much more visible and attractive to young people. I mean, you, you think about the areas you can work in. I mean, we should have people queuing up at the door, you know, robotics, <laughs> software, machinery design, product support, ah, soil science. It's, it's endless. It, it's, and it's exciting stuff. Yeah. And I say we should have people queuing up for it, really. Yeah. I think I think important thing is, is, and I've said it before, is people need to get off the bums and get into schools and do their bit and educate kids. Because unless somebody's telling them, they're not going to know. And you can't rely on school teachers to do it. No. And there's been some great initiatives just lately where, you know, this thing where it was in the news a while ago about farmers on doing some FaceTime with school children to show them what, what he's doing in the daytime and things yeah. like that. You know, just we just got to educate children. Well, well initiatives like Open Farm Sunday uh, do a yeah. good job. And there yeah. was initiatives like Tractors in Schools, which uh, uh, I thought was great because the, yeah. the local yeah. dealer would take a tractor and you know, the kids love clambering over that and it gave an exposure um but it doesn't there needs to be a little bit more wouldn't you agree joined up not joined up thinking but actually joining up of a lot of these initiatives because there seem to be a lot of uh, individual and and separate initiatives going on which probably don't link together as well as they should yeah yeah i think and i've spoke with the engineering uk people um about that and certainly it's something i'd like to try and do more of is get a bit more ag engineering into engineering uk you know you look at you look at kids i mean god you know tractors and diggers yeah they're always toys people have and we always talk about and there's always stories about farms and farming but it doesn't seem to carry on through does it, it no. you know it's a thing they learn in primary school but it doesn't seem to continue through i think we've got to get better at that i mean I, I, it's difficult really because i suppose if you live in a rural area like me you know school kids are used to tractors buzzing around and, and people working people being the sons and daughters of farmers. But if you're in inner city Manchester, you know, you never see a tractor, do you? It's, it's no, but I tell you what, down. Charlie, um, I don't know. There was a, and it's still going on. And I got a feeling it's a connection between the NFU and possibly the Farmers Weekly. Uh, they ran a competition for design the tractor of the future. And I know that I think it was last year that the winners 
The winners came from two inner city schools. All right. One in Manchester and one in the East End of London. And and as you quite rightly said, they have no exposure really to mm. uh, everyday country life. Um, and yet they knew enough about the tractor to, to be able to. So maybe there's an untapped market there of, of potential people to come in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I think with when you look at yeah what's going on at the moment with autonomous vehicles and, and robotics and, and that side of it there's there's so much i mean that that in itself those subjects will invite will attract diverse people and they're not going to be your traditional farmers daughters and sons no it's going to be people who are you know are into robotics and they've suddenly got involved in applying robotics to to agriculture you know so i think and that, that's where there's a, a need for the institutions well i see is that where you've got these people who are not from ag background I think being part of I agree will help those people, you know, performing their day jobs by being associated with something like I agree to, to give them knowledge and support, you know, for the for the elements of the industry that they don't know anything about. And for those people who are already in agricultural engineering, um, how, how would you sell the benefits of, of membership? And and I'm thinking particularly into what I would call, call the pure agricultural engineering, because that does seem to be um an area which is worthy of, I won't say exploitation, but uh, worthy of work in dealerships and in obviously manufacturers and so on. Uh, how would you sell the benefit of, of, of IAGRI? I suppose what's kept me a member all these years is this common interest. I suppose no matter what area of ag engineering you're in, there are other members in that same area. So, you know, whether it's conferences or branch meetings or, or landwards articles, There'll always be some common interest theme that that that's that you can see that uh, that grabs your interest. I suppose as well, there's that that sense of belonging to a professional club and having that that personal recognition as a professional engineer with letters after your name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're obviously licensed to award professional qualifications like Eng Tech and I Eng and C Eng, um, and they're really important to individuals when they're looking for new jobs or developing their careers or or maybe wanting to go out and become consultants. You know, it means you're at a, a certain level of competence and, and we uphold those standards. And I think certainly EngTech to me is, is, a, is a really important one. Um, you know, I, I see, you know, you look at the manufacturers are consolidating their dealer network. Yeah. You know, the dealers are buying each other out. There's bigger and bigger, yes, larger companies who are dealerships. Um, the, the equipment is is getting more complex. It's high investment, and, and that can only need, you know, highly qualified technicians to look after that stuff. Yeah. So, if you're a, a technician in a professional dealership, having recognition like Engtech to me is important. So, if you're a, a professional farmer and you've got you know several combines at several million quid's worth of you know of, of expensive kit, you want decent, well qualified professional technicians to to look after that stuff. So I think EngTech is an important one. And of course, it's the first step on the ladder um, for people in, in our institution. So that's certainly something I want to push in the future. I mean, you're not, you know, we're not going to get every single young technician in every tractor dealership who's going to register as EngTech. Um, but certainly, you know, those that want to progress onwards and upwards and, and take on more responsibility, I think it's a key thing. Yeah. I think, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a young technician wanting to develop your skills in a dealership or, or a senior engineer in a, in a machinery manufacturer. You know, having your professional competence recognised is important. It, you know, it makes you feel good. It gives you confidence. It, it gives you some self-esteem. 
you know, and, the, and there's also, you know, a whole load of other benefits that we offer, which, you know, you, you have a look on our website, uh, for those that are interested, things like conferences and technical talks and podcasts, yeah. job vacancies. And, and do, I seem to do a lot of career guidance at the moment. I've been talking to students uh, and I've been offering, you know, saying, do you ever want to ch- you know, ever want to have a chat and give us a, drop us an email and I'll happily talk to you. And I'm surprised how many you've taken me up really, just inquiring about, you know, what jobs they could go into and, you know, on the back of, so what have I, what I've done in my career. So I see that as an important bit, you know, with I agree, just that, that guidance. Uh, so yeah, lots of things really. Yeah. Um, and we, we well know now uh, Brexit and, and the like that, um, British agriculture is changing. You know, we, we, we face a, a world without any subsidies where care of the countryside uh, becomes more important. And it would it would seem that the membership profile of IAGRI, um, when you're putting together engineers, academics, environmentalists, all highly qualified, it would suggest an important future role for the institution. Do you think that's the case? And how might uh, the institution uh, harness the skills and experience um, to, to, to live and grow this, this, this new age? I think, you know, the, the role of the ag engineer and the land-based engineer, you know, supported by iAgri, it's more important than ever. I think if you look at some of the technology being in, developed in the UK at the moment, we, we're world leaders in some of this stuff. And I hear people say, you know, we've lost the manufacturing base and we don't make anything anymore and moan and groan. But I think the UK does more than people think. I mean, comments like that used to drive me mad in JCB when people said that, you know, because I see lots of companies out there doing loads of good stuff and and more so in, in the role I'm in now, I see even more. And I'm really flabbergasted by some of the developments that are going on. And it, it really is world leading stuff. I think the I agree needs to ensure that we've got the right people coming into industry and maintain that professional level. And I think, you know, we are well placed to be a good link between academia and research and industry because we've got our fingers in lots of those pies. And I sort of touched on it before that for some of the non-ag people working in robotics and automation, we can provide a good source of knowledge and, and experience through the membership that we've got and the conferences to support those people. I think, you know, the, the, the I often sit there thinking about what what's the what is the you know the, the good thing about I agree and I come back to the network every time we've got yep. a great network of people um, and friendly people as well. It's not we're not a massive hundreds of thousands of people membership. We're a, we're a small institution, so it's a very very friendly network of people. And you can bet your bottom dollar that there's somebody somewhere in I agree doing a similar thing to you. And it's great to sort of brush shoulders with people and have a chat, you know in confidence on, on things some of the time. So I think that network is a is a real key attribute for I agree. And, and it could be said that this is an industry that uh, where quality is more important than quantity. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think, um, you know, the, the pace of inf- innovation, as we see it, you've mentioned uh, robotics, uh, will always be governed by the user, the farmer's uh, understanding of new technology in ways that can be practically incorporated into their into their business. Um, I mean, you were involved in a product, Fast Track, that uh, was innovative um, and not necessarily a one-off, but it brought a new dimension to uh, tractor transport and operation. D- does IAGRI have a role in playing, in, in helping to explain new technologies to, to end users and to farmers? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, you've got, 
you do have a wave of tech savvy farmers and you know farmer sons and daughters out there and the new ones coming through are really ahead of the game and we i think we underestimate our our clever some of these our tech savvy some of these these people are um i see so many progressive farmers embracing the technology and diversifying you know to to make their businesses a success and i think if people don't adopt the new technology they're going to get left behind and they won't reap the benefits that you know the efficiency benefits um, i suppose if people didn't adopt new technology they'd all still be plowing horses wouldn't they but, but it so was. i think i think if the technology shows a clear benefit people will adopt it i'm sure um, and i agree can absolutely support that because again because we've got the links between academia and research and industry you know it, showcasing that technology through through things like conferences and seminars uh, is is something that we can do you know we've we're hosting i mean born out of covid really that the lunchtime lectures that i agree are doing are are excellent mm. um, so we're doing one lecture a month uh, and we're going to continue doing that because i think it's you know people can sit there listening on the phone or, or at the desk, you know, stick it on during lunchtime and, and listening to a lecture on the subject. You don't have to get in your car and drive off in the evening to attend it. It's, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. And they, they're great. And they've been really successful and really, really good quality um, discussions. And they're available online as well. That's, that's the other thing is, is once the presentation has been done, it's stored online for, for future use. So, you know, I think we've definitely got a, a role to play there. And, think, and, and that's um, something that probably wouldn't have happened if the recent events hadn't uh, come down on us, wouldn't it? No, no. I say there's been lots of there's been lots of things that's, that's come out of COVID and coronavirus that have you know that will stay in place. I think podcasts and um, webinars and things have just shown you how, how you know you can do, and it's very easy. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you look at branch branch meetings are often a challenge, and you know, for, I mean, I to, to get home from work every tea and then race off out to go and listen to a, a lecture on something is, is hard work for some people, especially yeah. people, you know, young people with kids. And, you know, now you can just sit there with your iPad or your phone or your laptop and listen into a, a technical presentation in the evening, sat on your armchair. It, it, I think those sort of things are, will stay. I mean, they're not substitute for face-to-face, don't get me wrong, but I think they'll have their place and they'll stay with us. And but there will be some regions that uh, bemoan the lack of visits to breweries or to gym producers yeah. or <laughs> or anything like that. There does seem to be quite and and you know it's a branch of farming. Let's face yeah, it. Exactly, so, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Charlie, you've been there in post for three months, I guess now. Uh, initial impressions uh, of uh, the, the task ahead of you, the people you're working with, and so on. I suppose you know. I see. I see a really exciting industry, um, but I don't see lots of excited people wanting to join it. Um, a lot of people, you know, you talk to a lot of people in the industry and they're struggling to find the right people, you know, whether it's colleges trying to find lecturers to teach land-based engineering or, or, you know, startup companies trying to find software engineers or robotic engineers for, for new technology ideas or, or, or dealership technicians, you know, it's a challenge to find people um, and you can't blame anybody from that. You've got, you've got to sort of do something about it yourself. You, education's key and we've all got to do our bit to support that, you know, and, and, and nurture people coming through. And, you know, JCB was a good example is, you know, we, I mean, the, acad- the academy that JCB set up was born out of 
wanting to grow our own people and if you can't if you can't find people to recruit or grow your own yes and having things like apprenticeship programs at jcv were, were absolutely superb because i mean i've seen some some really really good people you know shy individuals come in on the apprenticeship schemes and just flourish through that project process and, and, and come out at the end of it really good top-notch engineers and you've just got to nurture people um, i think you know the i agree it's been around for many many years i think it's important that that it adapts and reflects the needs of its members and the changes you've seen in industry you know i mean just in my career i've seen numerous tractor makers disappear from the uk Yes, but we've still got plenty of successful manufacturing businesses and loads of new technology stuff appearing. Yes, yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm I'm really keen for us to grow the membership because yeah. obviously the more members we have, the better the service and support we can provide to the membership. You know, so yeah, I mean, I take your point you made earlier on about um, uh, the the breadth of engineering and manufacturing in in our sector that goes on. I recently was involved in producing a brochure magazine for the DIT and um, I think the brief was to profile uh, British manufacturers of Agritech uh, machinery mm. and all my friends have said oh yeah you'll be pushed to find any you know but actually by the time I got to 25 I was I was I was turning people away for inclusion in this brochure and it amazed me how much there was going on. It used to drive me mad it, when people used to say when I when somebody'd say oh, we don't make anything in the UK anymore. I used mm. to get so riled. And I'd start listing off all these companies. You know, you start going, well, we make Vauxhall cars, we make Jaguars, we make Land Rovers, we make Rolls-Royce engines, we make we make Terex diggers, we make JCBs. It's like, do you want me to stop? Or should I keep yes. going? Yeah. 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 Like, you know, how many sprayer manufacturers are there in the UK? There's, oh, know, exactly. Four, yeah. Four There's loads of manufacturing in the UK. You know, yeah. people should stop doing us down. And we make some really good stuff. In, in, and I think it, it's all this new stuff that's, that's really exciting me, you know, the, the autonomous stuff and robotics. It's amazing, really. And indeed, some manufacturing processes, I think, with what's happened with Brexit, talking to some owners of engineering companies, they're looking to looking to quite a bright, bright future as we try and lessen our, our dependence on imports of components and so on. Mm. But anyway, look, Charlie, we've that's excellent. I've really enjoyed um, catching up with you. Um, presumably, uh, you got to Christmas. You've been around for two, uh, three months in the uh, Iagri firmament, uh, and that must have been a, a nice break to catch your breath. Um, but when you're not uh, what working and your socks off for Iagri, what you know? What's your pastime? What's your what, what uh, are you doing? Where do you want to start, kids? <laughs> Georgian farmhouses, vintage tractors, match plowing. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose you know I've got um, I've got a couple of daughters, eleven and eight. Um, yes. So that keeps us busy. We've got um, and that's got to be number one, hasn't it? Yeah, we've 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 moved into a, a big old Georgian farmhouse with a bit of ground to it a couple of years ago. So we're slowly working our way around that. Um, there's always something to do. But yeah, I mean when I when I do get some time, it, it, it's. I like to do, I do a lot of match plowing. So I do about 20, 20 odd matches a year with um, I've got a, a Massey 35 and a Ransom's two for a plow. Yeah. So that, that keeps me busy. That, that and vintage tractors, I love messing around with old tractors, but the plowing is what I really like doing. So I've done 
I've been at the British Championships. I've done about 11 now championships. Um, and I've had a couple of thirds and a second at the British Nationals, but never quite uh, won it yet. But I've been I've been close a couple of occasions. But uh, yeah, I love, I love my ploughing. Um, I suppose it was when I was a kid, me, me uncle used to do a lot of match ploughing, um, high cut ploughing. And I used to go with him as a kid. Uh, but, but I really do enjoy that. It's dead therapeutic. So yeah, and it's nice. I suppose it's, I like the, the vintage and classic tractors. And I suppose to me, it's a way of using them for what they were built for rather than having them lined up in a rally all shiny. You know, it's out, it's nice to get out there and use them for what they were designed for. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so that, that red and grey and Fergie grey runs through my blood a bit, really. So, <laughs> I like, so I like when, using them. So when we have the Iregri charity ploughing match, um, we'll know, know who the ringer is. That uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, <think. laughs> okay, Charlie. Yeah. Well, look, I really enjoyed this this, this catch up, and uh, it's it, there's a lot of really good stuff coming. And I really do do thank you for your uh, uh, participation this afternoon. That's really good. Thank you ever so much. And uh, no problem. Um, I wish you all the best. Uh, going forward and into the new year with all the various challenges that lie ahead yep thank you very much well i really did enjoy that it was a revealing insight into charlie's vision for iagri over the coming months and years uh, we should have people queuing up at our door he said but conceded that there is some education still to do connecting agriculture with engineering particularly amongst the young. So if you wish to know more about iAgri, simply look on their website, www.iagri.org. That's I-A-G-R-E dot org. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside AgriTurf.